Charles, it is so good uh, to see you virtually, but not as good as the last time I saw you in Atlanta because you were paying for everybody's drinks. So that was a better time. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, you know, you, you, you're one of my favorite people. I'm so proud of your success. And uh, it's my pleasure to be on your podcast. It's going to be awesome today. Thank you, Chuck. No, I, I respect so many of the things that you do. And most importantly, I respect how true you are to what you think and what you say and the conviction that you say those things with. So there is so much that I want to talk to you about. Um, this is definitely going to be a, a very full 45, 50 minutes for sure. But I do want to talk a little bit about this idea of how you always are kind of buying everybody's drinks and creating an experience for everyone. Have you always been like a giver like that? No, no. Honestly, be honest with you, Taylor. Just when I got money, uh, I started doing that. And I, I'll tell you why, because... You know, growing up poor, nobody ever bought you anything. And, you know, my mom was a great lady. My grandmother, my mom worked in the, uh, was a maid. And my grandmother worked in a meat factory. And they were two incredible women. But, you know, I didn't realize we were poor till I got older. So now that I'm blessed, and I make that clear, I'm blessed because of a stupid basketball. I got, uh, I'm so, I have an amazing life. So I don't want people ever paying for drinks when they're with me. I mean, I, I've been so lucky and blessed. And like I say, when I didn't have anything, don't try to buy me stuff now that I'm loaded. So I said, no, I got all the drinks. I got the dinner and I got the drinks. Just yeah. relax. I needed your ass when I was poor living in the projects. Don't run up on me now tell me, hey, can I buy you a drink? No, you can't buy me a drink. I'm good to go now. So yeah. that's a, and, that's, and that's as honest as I can be. No, nobody bought me anything when I was poor, but now all of a sudden, because of who I am, they want to buy me stuff. I'm like, no, it's too late now. I needed you back in those project days. So, <laughs> and 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 I just and I just feel good, I man. Because like I say, you know, it's weird. I'm almost sixty, Taylor. It's really weird. I'll be sixty in a couple months. You know, I was talking to uh, I was I was with Doctor J. We were on a plane together, and I I remember he was thirty five. Him and Moses when I first got to the NBA, and we used to call them Gramps. And now I'm like 35. I'm like, now I'm like 59. Yeah. It's weird turning, it's weird turning 60. No, for you know, sure. Like, and I also yeah, think I like, too, as as you get older, your understanding of age and what it means to actually be old changes. Like now, I don't think that being 60 is being old. You still have so much more life that you're living you don't if know you're that, 60. Taylor. You don't Obviously, know that. I'm saying in, in a world where you're safe and healthy, right? Yeah. 60 is not old. If everything goes the way you would think, you have lots of life to live. Yeah. Well, so I look at it like this. 50 is my magic number. Anything after 50 is gravy. I always tell people, it's only sad when young people die because they didn't get to experience life. But I think if you've been here 50 years, you should have accomplished something. You should have done something in your life. So. I, and I'm I'm not being morbid or whatever. Like every day I live past sixty, I look at it like man, that's just gravy. Yep. And listen, I like to live as long as possible, obviously. But man, I've had such an amazing, tremendous life. I mean, I think about growing up in the projects in my little hometown, a couple thousand people, and because of a stupid ball, I go to Auburn. Great decision. Go to Philadelphia for eight years. Go to Phoenix for four years, my last four years uh, in Houston. So 16 years. And then 
I've been blessed to work for Turner for 22 years because of a stupid basketball. So, man, I just, I'm so lucky and blessed and thankful and thankful mm-hmm. because, you know, it's been a, just an amazing journey. Yeah. And hey, it's been so much fun. You know, I, I was I was blessed to speak at Bill Russell's funeral a couple months ago. I was one of the speakers. It meant a lot to me. Uh, shout out to my one of my heroes. But the last thing we played was, you know, first of all, he had that loud cackle. But his wife, Janine, wanted to play this last soundbite for him. And it was really perfect because I, I could play the same one for myself. And he says, I lived and I died, but I had a whole hell of a lot of fun along the way. And then he did that, <laughs> that cackle that Bill Russell does. And that's amazing for me. Like, I lived, I'm going to die, but man, I had a hell of a lot of fun along this journey. It's been incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been amazing. I mean, I can't, it's, it's been great. Yeah. No, I think that's really beautiful and a great outlook and perspective to have on it. I do wonder, you know, with you, some of your peers passing, right, being close to people that have passed, how has that changed your relationship with death, and even though you're saying that right now the all these days are gravy, are you scared yeah. of the actual dying? Does that make no, sense? No, not at all. Not mm-hmm. at all. Because you know what's crazy? Like, I look at this crazy world we live in, and I think about those four kids in Idaho who died. I think about uh, all my gay and lesbian and transgender friends got their club shot up in Colorado uh, a couple weeks ago. I look at the kid, crazy kid who shot up the Walmart and killed all his coworkers. And you just say to yourself, man, you just hope you ain't around when some crazy stuff happened because we just don't know. And uh, I just said like, Hey, you know what, man, I had a good run. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, you know, Taylor, I am so, I, you know, I sit there sometimes, like when I go back to my hometown, I drive by the projects where I built uh, my mom and grandmother a house. And I, I think about like, man, look at all the things you've accomplished in your life. You know, I go by my high school and I make sure my teams look good. I said, <laughs> hey, my high school teams in basketball, they look good because of Chuck. I said, and they, they had a great season. They lost in the playoffs. But I want to make sure those kids look good. I said, I don't care if y'all ain't worth a damn, but y'all going to look good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, stuff like that means a great deal to me. Yeah. Because I, I, I want to, I think I, I keep trying to do some good stuff away from the court. Because, um, number one, I've been blessed to make a, a ton of money. And one of my goals has been, and I've done for the last, I think, 13 years, my goal is to been to give a million dollars a year away to charity. So I started obviously uh, with my high school, my college, another school in Alabama. Uh, I did Wounded Warriors. And I just did my sixth year in a row, historically black colleges, Spelman. Uh, so, you know, I did, I've done three in Alabama and three in Georgia because th- those HBCUs mean a great deal to me. And I'm really just want to keep giving this stuff away. Like I said, I have one daughter, 
She's a blessing. Got a grandson now, which officially means you're old when you're a grandpa. <laughs> oh, and my name is Big Pop, too. I stole it from somebody uh, this summer. I was at an award show. Uh, Ernie got an award, and I went to support him. And this little girl comes up and said, Mr. Barkley, can I take a picture with you? I said, sure. I said, who's going to take the picture? She says, my Big Pop. And I saw this little dude walking toward me, Taylor. Uh -huh. I said, Damn. If that little dude's big pop, I know I can be big cock pop because I'm actually big. <laughs> I love and that. I so says, big pop instead of grandpa is what they yeah, call you. Yeah, big pop. I said, I said, wait, who's this little dude walking toward her? She said, oh, that's my big pop. I said, well, I got my grandpa name now. I said, this little dude can be big pop. I can be big pop. So yeah, yeah that, shout out to Ernie for winning the award, but also shout out to the little girl who gave me the nickname idea. Oh, I love that so much. Big yeah. Pop. So is it Big Pop Chuck? Is it just Big Pop? Big Pop. Okay. Just Big Pop. Now, Lil Henry's not talking yet, but he's he he likes hanging out. So he sleeps here, and I got a beer in his other hand, and we watch football together. I got him trained. He sleeps right here. He He, he watches a little bit, then he falls asleep, and then I get my beer in my hand. And uh, so we it's a good little picture. So it's two things you love a lot, your grandkids yes. and some beer. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's your perfect day. Uh, uh, well, you know, depends on how the game is going, who I bet on that day. Yeah. So <laughs> if I win a bet, it's a really perfect day. Okay, I love that. To more perfect yes. days uh, for you and Henry. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, one thing you did that I thought was really special and really important was during your Hall of Fame speech, you gave time to recognize Sue Bird and Sylvia Fowles, two absolute greats in the women's game. What led you to sharing that moment with them? Well, I think it's important when we acknowledge Sylvia and Sue, the two of the greatest female basketball players ever, that was my only chance to get to talk when I was introducing my mentor, Dick Ebersol. You know, uh, Dick Ebersol is the man who talked me into doing television. He was great. And I told the story that night. I want to acknowledge those two women, first and foremost. But when I was introducing Mr. Ebersol, I want, you know, Taylor, I remember, so I originally was going to go to NBC. Uh, because they had the NBA back then. And a friend of mine, Michael Jackson, worked here at Turner. And he said, he called me. He said, Chuck, I need a favor. I said, oh, anything for you, brother? What you need? He said, I need you to meet with Turner. I said, well, you know, Mike, I'm going to uh, NBC. He says, yeah, I think I know that, but do me a favor. It'll make me look good at work. And I'm saying, you know what? Come on down. I said, I'm coming on down. <laughs> and I had... We went out to dinner. We started talking. And I was like, man, I'm really starting to like these dudes. I'm really starting to like these dudes. Then we go, we start smoking some cigars, and now I'm feeling like, hey, so my goal and my ambition on television is, now I don't want to cry wolf all the time, but when the things come up socially, I want to be able to talk about them. They're like, you can talk about it as much as you want to, as little as you want to. I said, when, when civil rights stuff happened, social unrest, we can talk about it. They're like, anytime you want to. Hmm, interesting. So I go back to my hotel, probably one, two in the morning. I call my agent 
And I said, hey, Mark, I think I have a problem. He said, what's the problem? He says, I said, I think I want to go to Turner. He says, well, what do you want me to do? He says, I said, I tell you what, let me sleep on it, and I'll make a decision. I slept like an hour. I called him back like 4 in the morning. I could do that because he's my agent. He better yes. be on the speed dial You can call him at any time, yes. Yes. I said, yo, man, uh, I'm going to go with Turner. He says, I'll call Ebersol. I said, nope, let me call him man to man. And I told this story the night of the Hall of Fame introduction when he got in. He said to me, and I, I, I was almost teared up telling him because he had, he had groomed me to, he talked to me because I had never thought about television until he talked me into it and we went to dinner a couple of times. He said to me, he says, those guys at Turner are great. You're going to be great on television. Good luck. And I was like, what? That's it? And when he said that, it took all my heartache away for having to break the... But him just saying, those guys at Turner are great. You're going to be great on television. If you ever need anything, reach out to me. And from that, like, and the rest, like I say, he means that much to me. No, I love that. And so you felt like in this moment where you know there was a lot of spotlight, even though you're introing him, you needed to give Sue and Sylvia... Yes. Their yes. shine as well. Yes. Yeah. No, I thought that was a, a super, super important moment. Um, okay. Thank you, you. You always have a lot to say, which I love. So I'm going to put some hats on you, okay? You okay. are NBA commissioner for a day. Tell me three things you would change. First, one of my pet peeves is ticket prices. You cannot raise your ticket prices if you don't finish above 500. First and foremost, that would be my first thing. You cannot raise your ticket prices if your team sucks. Okay. First and foremost, that'd be my number one thing. Secondly, we can't have this load management. It's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to the game. You need to play. To make tens of millions of dollars to, to play 82 basketball games, you know, most of the time, you know, he Adam changed the rules so you don't even have to play back-to-back. -back. Mm -hmm. You need to play all the games. Uh, those are the first two things I would say. Okay, so can't, can't up the ticket prices if your team's below 500 and then also no yes. load management. What's number no three? No load management. Number three, I would probably... Shorten the season, mm. play 70 games, because, you know, they're in playoff games. So you can make up the difference in that. And I wouldn't start the season until Christmas because, number one, nothing can beat the NFL. It's on a whole other planet. But college football is really popular and significant also. If you go back and look at our ratings, our highest ratings ever was because of the strike. The season didn't start to Christmas. And everybody want to say people wanted basketball back. I said, no, it had nothing to do with that. You're not competing with college and the pros. That was the big difference. We would still have the entire schedule, January, February, March, April, May, June, till ourselves. And there's no other sports, realistically, during that time. We'd have our own isolated situation. And when you don't have competition, because listen, pro football and college football on a whole nother level, those people are addicts. 
they kind of <laughs> love those two sports. So the, the, the number one thing you could do is avoid those starting at Christmas. That's my three suggestions. Do you think we see a world where any of those three come true? Genuinely asking. Well, I think they all should come true, to be honest with you, Taylor, because listen. But do you think they do? Think, do any of them actually come to fruition? I, I, the, the, the number one thing that I would say would be the ticket prices. I mean, these guys now, I wish they would stop lying about the load management. They say, well, it's not good for your body. I said, well, first of all, these guys been playing basketball, 82 games, in raggedy sneakers, flying commercial. If they can do it for $5,000, I'm damn sure you can do it for $50 million, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. These guys have been playing basketball forever. They played in Chuck Taylors and things like that, flew commercial, flew buses and things like that, and they happened to play all the games. We fly private. We got the best shoes. We got the best <laughs> medical equipment. But y'all still need load management. Please stop it. Just say, I want to play longer so I can make more money. That's all it is. You're don't, like, you don't hey, have to if you're honest the... about the load management, yes. you'd be like, yes. okay, uh, fine. Because, hey. yeah. you know, listen, if you load management, you probably can get an extra two or three years out of your career. Yeah. I I'm small enough to know that. Yeah. But just say that. Just say, hey, listen, hey, I'd like to make $30, $40 million a year too. <laughs> but just don't say I'm low because you hear the guys, well, it's not healthy for your body, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, man, we've been playing basketball forever. Relax. They got the best stuff ever today. Don't don't just just don't stop stop lying. That's the only thing. But okay, I really so, truly oh go ahead. I really truly believe that ticket thing. It's not fair to fans if your products suck and you still gonna raise their ticket prices. Yeah. And and I don't actually don't think it's an unusual ask. Well, you shouldn't raise you shouldn't be able to raise ticket prices if your team sucks. That ain't fair. Do you think that the NBA should adopt? You know that. Kind of a system of regulating teams if they're bad. No, I don't know if you can do that because I don't want to do that because it's not fair. Like I want the fans to see LeBron, I want the fans to see Giannis. Uh, you know, I want them to see KD. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So oh, and you know, ask me another thing. If a guy is suspended, mm -hmm. I suspend him for home games. I don't suspend him for road games because that might be the only mm, time okay. that player goes to that city. So if if there's a suspension, this happened quite a bit. Like, guys didn't get to play. That's the only time they're going to play there. You know, some of these fans spend, save up all their money to see the one time to go to State Warrior. They want to see Steph play. They want to see LeBron play. They want to see Giannis play. If guys going to load manage, do it at home. But if guys are suspended, the NBA says, okay, you're suspended three games. You're on a three-game road trip. You're only going to play that team one time. You're going to sit out three games at home. Those are a couple of things I like to see changed. Okay. Now it's time for your GM hat. Do you want to be GM of the Sixers or the Suns? Wow. And then you have to tell me the two things you would change. Wow, girl. <laughs> okay, you know, so the Sixers, the sixth situation is going to come down on Embiid and Harden, plain and simple. They both, like, the playoffs are for stars. The Suns is going to come down to Booker and Aiden. 
You know, I love Chris Paul. They give me they give me a hard time on the show set all the time. He's the best leader in sports. But you can't expect your guy to be 38, 39-year-old. Because you saw last year he was great early in the playoff, then he got tired. You can't expect that from a guy who's 38, 39. It's going to come down to Booker and Aiden, really Aiden, because Booker's going to do his thing. Aiden's got to pick it up a little bit. But those are two question marks that you asked me about those teams. I mean, the jury's still out on James and Joel. Can they play together? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's interesting when you see they play great separately, but they don't play well together. Mm. And Aiden's just going to have to grow up and learn to be a dominant player. I mean, Booker, he's already a terrific player, but the, there's a lot of pressure on Aiden because he's really got to pick it up. Well, then, okay, just to, just to push you on that question, then, if you are looking at the Suns and if you are the GM, what's the things that you would do uh, to ensure actual success for that Phoenix team? Well, well, they are successful. They made it to the finals. They are. They had the best, they had the best record in the NBA. But first of all, I have Jay Crowder. I can't believe Jay Crowder is still sitting at home. Jay Crowder is mm -hmm. a heck of a player. I mean, I'm a big Jay Crowder fan. I can't believe he's sitting at home right now. Not just him. I, I can't believe some of these other teams ain't picked him up. I'd pick his ass up immediately. If I'm the Milwaukee Bucks, because you're going to play against Tatum and Brown, you need all the wings you got. You can't, I mean, so that'd be the first thing I'd do. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of, it's starting to shape itself out right now. Boston and Milwaukee are separating themselves from the rest of the East. Now, the West, man, the West is going to be interesting. I, I said on the show last week, I think Denver's going to finish with the best record. I don't think Utah mm -hmm. can keep it up. They're starting to come back to earth. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think they're that. But I think Denver, the Warriors are the Warriors at the mercy of their young guys. Mm -hmm. The young guys are not playing great right now. It's too early to give up on them. But man, Wasman and Kaminga got to pick it up. Uh, yeah. Or or the, or the Warriors are gonna be done. Mm -hmm. So I want your opinion on a topic that people around the NBA are discussing right now. And I think that in some ways you can relate to it because throughout your career, both in college and professionally, there was always a lot of conversation about your body. There was a lot of commentary yes. about yeah. your weight or your size. And I think that yes. unfortunately that is happening to Zion a lot more uh, recently. So much yeah. so that when he was asked about Thanksgiving, he felt like he couldn't even answer the question uh, for fear of people talking about how yeah, he Yeah, I saw that. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was disappointed for him giving the public that much power. Thanksgiving for eating. You don't have to worry about... If people make fun of you, that's on them. But you never give other people power, first and foremost. Secondly, Zion's got to get in shape. You can't... It's. I'm trying to phrase this. He can't keep getting hurt because at some point his body's not going to recover because, man, the body's an amazing machine. I'll give you an example for me, Taylor. When I first got to the NBA, I was about 295 pounds. I played in college right around 300. And uh, I wasn't getting the play, but I had success. See, just if you have success overweight, that does not mean you're successful because the game changes when you go. High school shape ain't college shape. College shape ain't NBA shape. And, you know, you got to get better at every level. So 
I was the number five pick in the draft. I wasn't getting to play. And the, the best thing that ever happened to me was Moses Malone. Me and Moses lived in the same building. And I said, Big Mo, can I come see you tonight? I got some stuff I need to talk to you about. He's yeah, young fella, come on up. And I went up to his penthouse. And uh, I said, Big Mo, why am I not getting to play? He's oh yeah, young fella, you're fat and you're lazy. And I said, what? He says, you fat and you're lazy. You're so overweight, you can't work hard. And first of all, I did like all grown men do. I cried a little bit because it hurt my feelings. But. Wait, hold on. I will say, I have to stop you right there, though, only because you crying to him saying that you're you're fat is how Zion must feel when people are talking about him. But then you can't preface the opinion with, I hate that he take he's taking it personally because anybody no. would take it personally if someone no, was no, discussing I'm, I'm, the their weight. No, no, no. The fact weight. that he, the, the thing he took personal about he's worried about what people think he's gonna eat for Thanksgiving. That that was the part he's like, yo man, you eat what you want to eat. That's the point I'm at. He's thinking sure. about that. Tell, that tells me he's thinking about it too much. Like everybody asks everybody what they're having for Thanksgiving, <laughs> and he was scared to answer the question. Because he was worried about what other people were going to say. No, I think what you're saying is accurate, but I think that the disappointment probably more so lies in the fact that he has been so ridiculed and under the microscope for his weight that he that's feels he can't job, even, Taylor. he can't participate Taylor, in the part, fun. Hey, this is a deal we make with the devil when you're famous. Everybody has an opinion on you. Listen, you don't, I wouldn't change a thing, but part of, Part of this thing that we're in. Yeah. That's the reason they pay you all that money. For sure. Yeah, but that's just the way the game is played. But the point I was making was on, somebody around him has got to say, yo, man, you got to get in shape. But see, the, the problem with Zion is he's got so much power already. Mm-hmm. Like, they're scared he's going to leave in a couple of years. Like, they had to make the big decision where to give him all that money this summer, and they did. Yeah. But but now they got to worry about, because now these guys on television are going to be like, well, they're not putting enough around him. He he can leave in X amount of years. You know, that's the new thing in NBA now. When a guy don't want to be somewhere after X amount of years, he moves. But Zion's got to look in the mirror and says, hey, you know what? Brandon's playing great. CJ's playing great. Our bench is pretty good. I'm the one holding us back because I have not been available. The best ability is availability. For sure. But he's got to look, but he's got to look in the mirror and says, I gotta get in shape because I keep breaking down. Yeah. And as he break and as he and I think his weight does have something to do with it because he's a big man. He's really explosive. But he's got to look in that mirror like, hey, that shit hurt me when he called me fat and lazy. But he said to me, if you want to get in shape, I'll help you. So he said something, Taylor. He says, well, let's lose t- 10 pounds. I get to 290. I can feel a difference already. Mm-hmm. I get to 280. Now I'm really starting to, I'm starting now. I get to 270. I get to 260. I get to 250. And I actually got to 240, but I, I said, you know, I don't feel good at 240. I don't have no strength, blah, blah. He says, well, 250 is your weight. But this man made me, helped me lose 50 pounds, and the rest is history. 
But it started out with an honest conversation. Yeah. And, and I, I think I wonder that's fair. Who, I think that's yes. fair. Like, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that it is incredibly fair and within the scope of the job for people to be talking about Zion's, I don't know, lack of conditioning or how his diet is holding back him as a player or how he's too big right now to be effective. Like, I think all of those are fair, but I think there's a difference in these, like, constructive analytical comments and the yeah. jokes that he receives. Yes. But, uh, yeah, and I'm and, saying and, the and, jokes are to me what is the problematic aspect of it. And because of the jokes. But that goes jokes, with the job. That goes with the job. Yes Taylor. and no. But you could argue it's yeah. a little dangerous sometimes when we say that a oh, part of the, the job the, the, is to be made fun of. Because it's like, no, is no, that not, a part not, of the but, job? But unfortunately, we can't control the internet. True. Very true. And like, I don't believe in social media personally because mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of losers who are evil and mean spirited. <laughs> yes. I don't, because I don't even mind. Like, uh, if you have an opinion and it's fair, that's fair. But some of the stuff that's said is so negative and so mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. And so unfair. Sure. That's one of the reasons, no matter how much money I've been offered, I'm never going to do social media. Never. Mm -hmm. But I think Zion's a great kid. I think he got a chance of being a great player. But the first thing he's got to do is figure out his body. Yeah. Like, if, if if when I started working out with Moses, if somebody told me I had I could lose 50 pounds, I would have said, you're freaking nuts. <laughs> but when I got down to 250, they couldn't, the rest was history. The rest was history. And I'm hoping Zion got good enough people around him so, yo, man, first of all, the, the type of money these guys are making today, he should already have a chef by now. He should have a chef who lives at his house, cooks him all his meals, because, you know, Taylor, this money has gotten so astronomical. Number one, I'm not a hater. Bless all these young guys, whatever they make. But, <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. I got in shape for $2 million, Okay. If they were gonna, I might not ever eat again if they were gonna pay me 34 to 50 million. <laughs> My first contract was four years, $2 million. And I got in shape for $2 million, Taylor. The money these guys are making today, if they gave me a contract making 30, 40 million dollars a year, I said, yeah, I'm never gonna eat again. <laughs> Ever. Now, Charles, so uh, uh, listen, I believe what you're saying. I listen, I hear it. I think <laughs> times are different. I'm in. Yeah. If someone is like, get in shape and we will take care of you, you would do it. I believe that, no question. Yeah. I will say this, though, just because, you know, I am on social media, unfortunately. So I understand um, maybe some narratives and discussion that happen online. Would you say there have been times in your media career that you have had moments that could be called hypocritical? No, because... You don't think you've ever been a hypocrite, ever? Never. Because when I... Because I've done stupid stuff, I got called on it. These guys today don't want to be called on it. So if you, if you want to say I'm hypocritical, that's fair. But I, when I got called to the carpet when I did something wrong. These guys don't want to be called to the carpet. Because Shaq says, I'm like, Chuck, you did this. I said, yeah. And I got called on the carpet for it. You, If we don't call people out when they do stuff wrong, like, yeah, I, I'm from the old group. Like, yeah, when I did stupid stuff, you know, they, they said, Chuck, quit doing stupid stuff. 
<laughs> like today's generation, when they do stupid stuff, they're like, yo, man, Charles is killing me on TV. I says, I says, yeah, Charles got killed when he did stupid stuff. Am I not supposed to call guys out when they do stupid stuff? Oh, not you totally no. should. You got to do your job. No, no. But being yeah, a hypocrite, but, um, it, being a hypocrite would mean there's things that you have done before, and then you fault someone else for doing them. It doesn't necessarily mean that I got whether you're calling because or Because I got faulted when I did it. I got okay. faulted when I did it. So I don't have a double standard. I said, yeah, when I did that, they called me out. And yeah, I, I'm gonna call them out because I'm not gonna let it go because I did something stupid. I said, when I did stupid stuff, they called me on it. This new generation, they're like, they don't ever wanna be called out on anything, mm -hmm. which is really unfair uh, by them. Because, you know, Dr. J gave me the best advice ever. Because I went ballistic the first time somebody in the media called me out. He said, Chuck, take a step back. He says, is the criticism true? I said, what do you mean? He says, you know, sometimes when somebody criticizes you, it's, it's correct. And I, and I, and I and that probably was one of the best. Because I think it was my third year I was becoming a star. And Dr. J taught me a lot. He says, take a step back. What was the criticism? I, he says, is if criticism true? And I said, well, okay, okay. Because listen, nobody wants to be talked bad about. Let's get mm -hmm. that out the way. For sure. But, so, but sometimes you do have, you like, okay, I was wrong. And that's another thing about this generation. They cannot fix their lips to say, my fault, I was wrong. They cannot fix their lips to say that. I okay, so I want to... I want to stay on this because this is like fascinating to me because I've always sure. kind of wondered, you know, how much of your experience, maybe your faults, your whatever, right, play a role into the opinions that you form about other players and also your perception of this generation versus how whatever it was like for you when you were in the NBA. Yeah. Do you think, and I don't, I don't, I want to be clear on this. I don't think that you did anything wrong here. I think that both people were right in how they felt. With the Clay Thompson situation. Yeah, I was disappointed in Clay because but, hold on for a second. I mean, I was disappointed in Clay because I went back and looked at what I said. Okay. I Clay was the best two-way player in basketball for a long time. And what I said was, he's still a good player. He's never gonna be that guy again for two reasons. Well, three reasons. Age. Achilles and ACL. No player gets better when they get older. That's that just doesn't happen. But you, uh, every player declines first and foremost as they get older. But you factor in an Achilles and an ACL. You, I said, and like I say, and we've talked about this. I says, I didn't say the guy was a bum. Mm -hmm. I said he's never gonna be that guy again. I was caught off guard because I went back and looked. I said, Clay's still a heck of a player, but he's never going to be that best two guard in the NBA that he was for a long time because of age, Achilles, and ACL. And I was disappointed that he overreacted because he 100% overreacted. Because I said, Kid's still a good player, but his days of being the best two guard in the NBA, because I'm going to tell you what happened that night because I've been there. Devin Booker was kicking his ass. And when you get older and you're like, 
this guy's kicking my ass. There's nothing I can do about it. Because that was really hard for me when I got older. Because I'm like, this dude can't play, and he's kicking my ass. That happens to every great player. But then you could tell Clay was frustrated because he started talking about the four rings, which nobody can ever take them four rings, and he's one of the best players ever. But that night, Devin Booker was kicking his ass, and there was nothing he can do about it. And I saw the frustration, and that's how I came out. I says, you know, uh, Clay's going to have to understand he's got four champs. He's an, a great, great player. But because of age, Achilles, ACL, there's nothing he can do about Devin Booker at this stage right. of his career. But you know that, like, and the, the reason this is interesting to me is because it's like both things, in essence, could be true, right? Like, you can think that Clay won't be the same player, but he can also have his feelings hurt by you saying that. And so calling it an overreaction, I think, is more, that was his feeling about what it is you said. But what you said, you're entitled to. I don't I don't think you did anything wrong with that. But I think that it's hard to say that things we say aren't personal when you're talking about something that is so personal to someone. Does that make 100%. sense? 100%. It's it's a hundred percent. But if he actually listened to what I said, I says, Clay's one Clay. Because you know, this is the thing that annoys me about these players today. When I said for five to seven years he was the best two guard in the NBA offensively and defensively, he never picked up the phone and said, "Damn, Charles, that's a really nice compliment." But th- th- this is what I actually hate about this generation. Uh, and, and this is honest, I'm not going to lie to you ever. I can say nine great things about these dudes. They call me on the one thing when I call them out. That's the thing that annoys me the most. Uh, like I say, Clay, who I like a lot as a person, never called me and said, man, Charles, somebody who knows basketball calling me the best two-guard offensive defensively in the league for five to seven years, man, that's a really nice compliment. He never called me. He got my number. But the one thing where I was actually making a basketball point, a true basketball point, I might. Clay, <laughs> I was like, yo, man, you're over 30. You had an ACL. You had an Achilles. Those three things don't go great together. I said, I didn't call him a bomb. I said, he's still a heck of a player. But that one night, I, I, saw, I saw myself a little bit like, man, getting older is no joke. See, because that's the one thing that sucks about sports. <laughs> no, when you get older, you're still playing against a little twenty-year-old kid. Who, <laughs> first, first of all, he's dumber than rocks, but he can run and jump like a mofo. And like my last two years, I was brutal in Houston. I couldn't play dead, and I had two good years in Houston. Then the last two, it was so frustrating because I'm like, these dudes can't even play. These dudes can't even play, and there's nothing I can do about it. Because Father Time is undefeated. It's going to get everybody. Yeah, and honestly, going off that, you know, right now, there's the report that, you know, people like Carmelo and IT and Boogie, they are determined to make it back to the NBA. And, I mean, obviously, they have all had, you know, great moments in their career. They're great people. They're great players. All those things. But I wonder what it has to be like sitting at home watching a game and thinking, I can still do this and this push and pull of you feeling that way, but knowing that none of the people in those front offices think that. Like it's a, how- it's a couple. It's, 
it's it, first of all, there's two deaths when you quit playing sports, especially you play like there's guys who in and out of the league one or two years. Those don't count. But when you play, you've been great in college and great in the pros. Man, it's when it's over. Taylor, it's traumatic. It's traumatic when it's over. I mean, but that's nothing you can do. It comes for everybody. But the thing is, for those guys, number one, you don't even know if they can still do it, first and foremost. But also, what role do you want? You don't get – I said a few years ago, I thought Carmelo Anthony was the best – one of the best one-on-one players I've ever seen in my life, and he was. But what 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 role does he still want to be treated like by like Carmelo Anthony? Like my I give an example. My last two years in NBA, I went to the coach. I said, hey, "Coach, let me come off the bench." <laughs> I thought about it, Taylor. I'm not even lying. I thought about it for two weeks. Wow. I was like, "Damn, I'm." Not very good right now. Maybe I can help the team if I play against the second unit, which I did, because there's a big difference between playing against starters and bench players. And I went to Rudy. I said, Coach, I want you to start Kevin Willis. He's like, why would I do that? I said, Coach, you're not hurting my feelings. I'm a big old boy here. Kevin's a better player at this stage of his career than me. I thought about it. I didn't think of this. I said I didn't think of this shit last night. I've been thinking about it for two weeks. He says, "If you want to do that, we'll do it." I said, "It's the right thing to do." And I went to Kevin. I said, "Kevin, I told Coach, you should be starting. You're a better player at this stage of your career, and I think I can help the team coming off the bench because I'd be playing against lesser players." And it actually worked out. I actually played decent. I mean, I wasn't Charles Barkley anymore, but I actually played pretty decent. But Taylor, I'm gonna tell you something, man. It is it when you're not when this thing is over, it sucks. So it I, sucks. I've heard that before from athletes when they say, you know, you died two deaths, um, and mm-hmm. I, to- I I get it, but I think it's really powerful to think about what that actually means. Like when you use the word, you know, death for that first one, why is that the accurate term for how you feel when you stop? Because it's, you know, it's something you've done since you were probably 12 years old. I mean, you've been a basketball player. You know, like, <laughs> like I probably started 15, 16, somewhere now. I think I was 38 when I retired. And then you don't play basketball anymore. That's why it's like death. Because let me tell you something. All these fools, like, once you come to the rec center and play, you want me to come and play against a bunch of electricians and plumbers and I just play against Carmelo <laughs> and Michael Jordan? That won't do nothing for me. No disrespect to plumbers and electricians. They're important and significant. But I don't want to play basketball against them. Like, I remember, like, sometimes I'd be in the gym watching regular people play. And I'm like, nah, I'm never, no, 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 no. I'm not, I don't, this is not attractive to me whatsoever. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just sitting, I'm sitting, because most of the time I'm just laughing because you realize like, damn, I was really good at basketball. When did you, I was like, when did you stop defining yourself by basketball? Well, I think, 
you know, that's kind of going to that death thing that we talked about a little bit earlier. Like when you stop playing, it's over. Like <laughs> it's over. Like you can, you can walk around like you're Charles Barkley or Carl Malone or Patrick Ewan or Michael Joe and ever, but you just a, like you just a guy and, and like nobody can take away what you accomplished, but it's over the day you step off that basketball court. I mean, and it's, it's amazing. It's fun. It's awesome. It's special. But then one day you wake up and like, it's over. So, and, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's traumatic. Yeah. It's a traumatic thing for you. So while I think that um, we might think we know the answer, I, I would love to actually hear the answer. Which phase of your life has made you the happiest or more at peace? Is it basketball Charles Barkley or has it been media Charles Barkley? Taylor, ain't nothing like playing a sport and being great at it and nothing. I don't care what happens on television. There's nothing like, like this weekend, you know, I was watching all the robbery games. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sitting there watching Ohio State, Michigan, watching Alabama, Auburn, like mm-hmm. being a player in that environment where the whole state, your stadium's like counting on you to make their day good. There's nothing like it. And then when you're in the NBA, when, you're, when your team is having a great season, mm-hmm. you're doing well in the playoff, the city's on fire, people forget people forget about all the problems and BS going on in their life. For two hours, you can like make them happy. There's nothing like it. Like people, you know, you people like, you know, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. But man, for two hours or doing a playoff run, like everybody's happy. The city's on. Ain't nothing like playing a sport for a living. And I mean, mean, Chuck, you were a hell of a player. I think in my opinion, you tell me if you agree. I think some people have forgotten how good you were, especially those that were younger who like, you know, they hear how good Charles Barkley was, but to them, you're the person on TNT that talks about basketball. Do you think in some ways people have forgotten who Chuck was on the court? You know, that's a great question. You know, but in fairness, you know, Taylor, I'm in my 22nd year on TNT. Mm -hmm. So, Anybody, <laughs> think about it. Most of these people ain't been alive, uh, you know. I mean, but I was you know, born the year uh, that you were traded to the Suns, actually. But I well, obviously know how good you were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know, listen, my what I accomplished was I'm really happy with my career. The only thing I was missing was a championship. Wish I could have got that for the city of Arizona, uh, the state of Arizona. Excuse me. You know, Philadelphia had gotten one. The Houston had gotten one. I, that was probably not getting the Suns one was probably the, the, my biggest regret more than anything. But like, I don't think about my past as far as like people recognize it or not, because like we forget everybody. I had this argument with this guy, not an argument, this guy, I don't even know his name. I came up to me, actually, in, I think like five days ago, he says, why do y'all not mention Wilt Chamberlain as the greatest ever? I said, well, first of all, I'm a 76er. I love Wilt Chamberlain. 
Uh, and I met, I got to meet him twice and it was amazing. But I said, but you got to be, I realized something. All these people who are talking about sports today have never seen Will Chamberlain play. So I think once, you know, it's just, that's just a part of evolution where most of the guys and girls on television, they never seen most of these guys play. Mm-hmm. They don't know how great Bill Russell was, Oscar Robinson. I think, I, and let's be realistic. I only seen those guys in tapes myself. Yeah. My my first recollection of the NBA is probably Bird Magic. Uh, and most people think, think about that. I mean, I don't think I really started paying attention to the NBA until Bird and Magic made it popular. Mm-hmm. I think my first recollection of really college basketball was that year in March Madness when they were talking about when they wanted to still probably think the most watched game in the history of college basketball. So, well, I mean, to that to that point, like as you talked about, you know, championships, do you think it's fair for there to be this like ding on your career because you didn't win a ring? I think it's really unfair because I don't know when it became an individual thing. Mm. But what's happened, we've given these guys, see, I'm not sure morning talk shows are the best thing for sports because they make you a bust or a success quickly. You know, I'll give an example. You look at Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning, two of the greatest quarterbacks ever. I think they both went one in fifteen their first year in the in the NFL. Do you know what would happen if the number one quarterbacks went one in fifteen in today's television network loud voices in the morning? What a bust! What a bomb! I mean, like, because people are brainwashed by what they hear on television. We we call guys busts after six weeks now. We we call guys bombs after six weeks. But I, hold on, or, I will say I will say Chuck because I I do I'm really interested in how it has affected you personally for this because I do it has think zero that is effect on me. But no, zero. but that that is a uh, thing no, that is the championship thing. Yeah, I'm talking about the championship thing because I agree but, it but, is unfair to ding people for like not but, winning the but, ring. But that goes but that, that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. That's the job. Yeah. That, like that goes. I have to take, I don't get to take just the good stuff. Like, when you're in the limelight, for some reason, every idiot, fool, and jackass feel like they got a computer. They got to comment on somebody. I, I, You know, I read stories like people talking about, they talking about how their kids dress and things like that. I'm like, why is that your business? Mm-hmm. Why you got to comment on that? But that's, part of the job when you're famous everybody has an opinion about you but how but do you I think would. the conversation around you would be different if you did have that ring because you're saying it's unfair it's not an individual yeah. thing well what that does... would be the only only knock yeah. mm-hmm. it would be like my my resume is complete yeah uh that 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 would be the only thing but let me just tell you this i would never i talked to you earlier about giving foods power 
I would never give anybody the power to say my life was not successful because I didn't win another basketball game. That's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, when I speak, when I speak to kids, I do a lot of speaking at high schools to teams and, and college teams, and actually pro teams also. And I talk to them about self-esteem. I say, yo man, it's called self-esteem. Not what all these other fools think of you. It's called self-esteem. I'm very happy with what I accomplished in basketball. Uh, like I say, the only thing I didn't do was win the championship. I know I was great. I know I was great. Nobody has to tell me. I know I'm great. Absolutely, yeah. But but if people want to say me, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Patrick Ewing. AI. Uh, AI. Uh, Russell Westbrook right now going through it. Who can, he's a great, great player. Uh, James Harden's a great, great player. Joel Embiid's a great, great player. But just because some fool in the morning on a talk show says he never won the championship, I'm like, well, first of all, you never played. Let's get that out the way. But I would never give them that power yeah. to make me feel like, like less of a, a, a player. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. And it's like, does not winning the ring diminish your talent and what you were able to do? I don't think it well, does. So, so, yeah. Well, because I'm like, just because guys get paid to talk about people on television, like, their opinion, number one, don't matter to me. But like, wait, it's not an individual sport. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that but you're only going to get the way this whole thing works, you're only going to get attention if you are butchering stars. Mm -hmm. That's the way the thing works. Because, you know, Taylor, you ain't never heard Cedric Sabalos didn't win the championship. You ain't never heard uh, Dan Marley, one of my best friends. It's like the only way to sustain an argument and get clicks is I've got to go after the stars. Well, yeah, because you, you know, could like, argue the reason the person not winning a ring is even a conversation is because you feel as though they could win away. Like, it, it yeah. is almost a mark of, like, I think you are talented enough. Like, yeah. but, you well, are someone it's, it's big enough big, for me to discuss. Big, it's called big game hunting. Yeah. Like, it, the best way to get clicks and to get attention is go after the biggest stars in every sport. That's just, But like I say, that's the way the game works now. Well, Chuck, like, speaking, I'm sorry, speaking of big stars, uh, you went yeah. on, you went on Tom Brady's show, I, I think last week, maybe. And yeah. you talked about how you haven't spoken to Michael Jordan for 10 years because of something that you said on air. Um, yes. Who knows if Michael Jordan saw that podcast. But right now, if Michael Jordan was right here, what is the thing that you would say? Because I know you said he was your best friend. You guys haven't spoken. You didn't yeah. love that. What would you say well, to Michael Jordan? It's, it's, it's a really unfortunate situation for me and him. But, you know, Taylor, I'm going to do my job first and foremost because I can't criticize other coaches and general managers and give him a pass because he's my best friend. I just can't do that. And what I said was I wasn't sure. I said Michael got to surround himself with better people. That's what uh, you because, said on you know, air. Yes. Uh and I said, I worry about him being successful because when you're a star, especially the biggest, because he, he, he's the biggest star I've ever been around, everybody around you is going to tell you what you want to hear. And I, I didn't think he had a good enough supporting cast around him in the front office to be successful. And I said that and had no problem saying it because it was the truth. Mm -hmm. And he took offense 
<laughs> and he called me and it wasn't a pleasant conversation. And we haven't spoken since then. But Did you know I after that phone call, y'all likely wouldn't talk for a while? That's a great question. Um, I thought it would blow over, to be honest with you. To be honest with you. And he's stubborn and I'm stubborn. And that's it. But right now, because I know you are a person who does, you know, lead with compassion. And I know that you do really yeah. cherish your friends. If you yeah. had the opportunity to talk to Michael now, what is it that you would you would say to mend that? Uh, I probably would say, hey, you know, what I said was I believed. I'm sorry you took offense to it. And let's get past this bullshit and go back to playing golf and having fun. Yeah, I but, would think yeah. so, because just the nature of uh, of the business, I would assume there's been times, even though you haven't spoken in 10 years, y'all had to have been in the same room in 10 years. Yes, we and, have been. And so in those rooms, you just don't speak. Yes. That's so sad. It's unfortunate. It is yeah. sad and it's unfortunate. But we have been in the room, I think, five times. And, yeah, and, and just walk past each other. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a good way to explain it. <laughs> All right, Chuck, next time you're in the room with Mike, I want you're going to be big person here and you're going to mend the mend the relationship. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Dr. 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 <laughs> Dr. Ruth. That's going to be our, that. our goal. That's going to be our goal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a, a couple more for you, but before I let you yeah. go, uh, I spoke to Kevin Durant today. I told him that I was interviewing you. And I asked him if he had a question that he wanted to ask you. And he does have one. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Katie's question was, is money your only motive in life? Money. Uh, I think that money is important because uh, you get to do great stuff with it. But I'm way past worrying about money at this stage of my life, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But but I think it's really important because what I, what, I, what I really want to do is I think I've really done a fantastic job of giving back. It really means a lot to me. It really means a lot to me to give back because, you know, the one thing that bothers me about America, the greatest country in the world, There is racism, always has been, and always will be. But we need to always address it when it happens, whether it's anti-Semitic, uh, uh, if it happened to Asian, there's a lot of Asian hate going on out there. There's a lot of uh, gay hate, transgender hate going on. We need to address those things. I'm always supporting my gay friends and trans transgender friends. You know, we talk about that a lot on me and Ernie's podcast. But the biggest problem, I think, in America is economics. It's rich people against poor people. And one thing that I try to do, more important thing, is the last six years, uh, I've given a million dollars to historically black colleges. And I'm going to keep doing that. Because one of the travesties of our country is what it costs to go to college now. It's a joke and a disgrace that we're paying all the, these kids have to pay X amount of money to go to college is a joke. 
But what I try to do in my little small little piece is I really want to try to make a difference uh, economically for poor people. And I'm going to keep doing my part. So the money's not even close to the most important thing, but it's important depending on what you do with it. Like I drive a Kia, you know, it's so funny when you talk to kids, they're like, what kind of car you got? I'm like, well, I got a Kia. They're like, because <laughs> they want you to say, I got a Mercedes or something like that. I'm like, no, nah, dude, I got a Kia. A little tell you right. I love it. It gets me the same place as those cars, those Porsches and those Beamers and things. It gets me the same place. So why but, do you so think... Oh, no, I was going to say, why do you think... Because I, I, didn't, I didn't ask him, so I don't know. Why do you think that was the question that Kevin wanted to ask you? If, mo- oh, if money know. was the only he, motive in life? No. No, no, no. Uh, I actually like Kevin. I think that he's a great player. I think he's actually a good dude. I think he's insecure at times because I think th- you have to realize sometimes criticism, like I told you earlier, sometimes criticism is fair. Now, he got mad at me because, and it didn't bother me because my point was, you know, there's a really big difference to being the bus driver than the bus rider. That's it. Everybody on the bus is important. But the mental stress, the leadership, or that's all the part of being the man. The stress of dealing with not winning, keeping the locker room together, dealing with that stuff every night, every game, that is stressful. And one of the reasons, you know, he gets mad when the old guys like myself saying he got to win a championship away from the Golden State Warriors before he gets, you know, to, to for, for, for his level to grow. And I know he got offended by that, but that's not my job to worry about people's feelings. My job, because when I'm on television, I'm really talking to the public. Yeah. I'm not talking like I can't go on TV and try to protect the players and the coaches and general managers. Like, I want the people at home to know what's going on. And that's always sure. going to be my focus. And I mean, totally. I know, obviously, every media person has a job to do. Your job is to literally give your opinion, right? I'm in no way faulting yes. you on that. You should be able to say exactly what you think about whatever player it is. I think that to play a, a bit of devil's advocate, and also because I've had so many conversations with Kevin more so about perception that happens, um, I think the issue that comes sometimes from players and people in the media is, for example, right now for you to say, I think he's insecure, right? It's like, what data have we collected or what have conversation have you had with him personally to be able to label him as an insecure person? And so then I think yeah. that when he's always being told he's these things, your, your automatic reaction is going to be, okay, well, I need to tell you what I actually am. And I think mm-hmm. that's why a lot of fans do sometimes enjoy this, like going back with him, going back and forth with him online, because it's the one time that a person can tell you who they are, as opposed to somebody who isn't them trying to tell you the ins and outs of what they are doing on the court or who they are as a person. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, the, the re- yeah I understand that. But the reason I say he's insecure, Taylor, there's levels to this. You don't have to react to every fool. Like, when you're arguing with a 16-year-old kid, that's like, yo, man, why are you worried about a 16-year-old kid? Like, I don't get 
I don't talk to that many people that I've like, like every idiot fool jackass that says something to me, I don't respond. I'm like, yo, man, I don't care what you think. Uh, so that would make you, that that makes you insecure. Like if it's somebody I admire and respect, like, okay, I'll listen to you. But my when I talk about insecurities, like, yo, man, everybody's opinion doesn't matter. It does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, you know, when I was like, when my man's got, you know, man, you don't need burner phones. You're Kevin Durant. You can say whatever the hell you want to, but you don't have to react to every single thing. And like, so that's why I think some of his insecurities come in from. Do you feel like there really is that much of a difference between the way players acted in your generation and the way players act now, or is there just more things available now for people to see how they act? Because when I hear stories about times when you were playing or certain things like, you know, things that you have done or Shaq has done, all things that I I love and I think are funny, they're not much different than what players are doing right now. Well, I think the difference is they overreact. Like, number one, I never talk about anybody's personal life. Never. I don't care. Even if it's been proven true, I don't comment on their personal life. I always stick strictly to basketball and the situation at hand. But like I say, these guys, they don't think they can be criticized. I've been criticized. Michael Jordan been criticized. Larry Bird been criticized. Magic Johnson been criticized. I mean, remember, I forget, when Magic played bad one year, they called him Tragic Johnson in the playoffs. He didn't get mad. But he why do better. you think players didn't get like I guess it's hard for me to and I'm genuinely asking you your opinion. It's hard yeah. for me to believe that just because people were born in different times that they didn't no, get mad my, when they were criticized. Because I don't see, believe that, that you weren't mad if you were criticized. I don't believe anyone's not a little well, mad. What well, you, you have to ask yourself No, but I'm saying though, I go back to what I said with my conversation with Dr. J. You have to ask yourself, is the criticism fair? I, I don't think I don't think these guys ever take the time to like it's a criticism fair. They're like, no, he criticized me, I gotta go back at him on social media or on television. I wish some of the time they're like, yo man, okay, that's a fair criticism. But I don't think they believe that today. Uh I they think that because you know, and I think the time and it ain't and anytime you criticize guys, the old get off my lawn guy, like, no, <laughs> dude, you can be criticized. Everybody's been criticized before. I mean, I, I played during the Michael Jordan era. And remember, like, this is how old I am. Like, oh, he can't win. You can't win with him doing that. I'm like, okay. Then he won. But, like, uh. Everybody gets criticized, but the problem is when you criticize guys today, man, they take it so personally, which is fine. I don't mind them getting mad. I don't. Well, how do you think? How do you think you would have reacted to a to Charles Barkley? How would Charles Barkley have reacted to TNT? Charles Barkley, genuinely asking. Uh, well, uh, that goes back to what I said earlier. Okay, is the criticism fair? Because I never had a when players call me. When coaches call me, when general managers call me, we first of all, I talk to 15 guys a week, whether they're a player, coaches, general managers. Their conversations are always private. I've never, I would never disclose a private conversation. 
ever. But they, and I said, well, this is why I said this. And 90% of the time, they're like, it wasn't a personal shot, dude. You saw what just happened in the game. And that's probably one, I tell you the funny story. Uh, one night, remember the night Kobe Bryant wouldn't shoot the basketball against the Suns one year? I went off on him after the game. I said, hey, listen, we all big Kobe Bryant's fans, but what he did tonight was just total bullshit. He wouldn't shoot the ball. He was trying to prove I think he shot one time in the second half, and it, and it was brutal. I mean, he was just trying to prove a point. He didn't have any help. So he starts texting me after the game, calling me every freaking name in the book. And this goes on for about three hours. It's like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Now, you know, we worked at like one thirty-two. And he, I said, yo, man, pick up the freaking phone and talk to me. But he was calling me every name in the book. <laughs> You've and had a lot got, of calls after the show. Uh, <laughs> probably probably in, in 22 years, probably 10 calls right after the show. What's, after a call, the show. what's a call that would surprise me? You don't have to tell me about the conversation, but who's someone who called you and you were surprised they took offense by something you said? Well, that's been a couple of coaching decisions. I, uh, a couple of coaches called me. I says, you didn't do that right. You didn't do that right. But so you've gotten a call from MJ. You've gotten a call from Kobe. Who's one more that you can just recall called you due to something you said? I don't even remember, to be honest with you, because I haven't got a call. I mean, because, man, God, rest in peace, Kobe. That, I'm trying to think. That was so long ago. But that was that was really one of the funniest nights of my life. Because I get back to the hotel, and it's like 2.30. And we text each other probably another 10, 15 times. Well, his texts were like cursing me out. I'm like, yo, man, I explained to you why I said what I said. No <laughs> ifs. And, well, I just did, and then, like I said, when we saw each other the next year, he says, yo, man, you know what? You were right. And that's the thing I remind about Kobe. He says, Chuck, you was right, and I was wrong. I said, yo, man, I love you. You were wrong that night. I'm not trying to, these kids today, counsel anybody. Like, but, you know, it goes back to a point I made to you earlier. I get so offended at times when an agent calls me or a coach calls me. I says, yo, man, I been bragging on your player for years. And the one time I criticized him, you freaking blow up my phone. Yeah. That that that's the thing that probably annoys me the most, to be honest with you. Like, I'm like, yo, man, why don't you ever call me and say, Chuck, thank you for the kind words about my player? You know, Aaron Goodwin is somebody that we text and go back and forth. He'll always call me and say, Hey man, thanks for talking good about my player. And I'm like, of course, man. It's it, but I'm trying to think. There's been a couple agents, uh, you know, Bam out of Bios. Uh, a couple years ago, I was bragging. I said, if this dude don't make the all-star team, it's a travesty and a disgrace. And I got a call from the Heat saying, thank you, blah, blah, blah. Then his mom says, then I saw his mom at the all-star game. She gave me, she said, I just want to thank you. You're the only Aww. person who said my, you the only person my son should make the all-star team. And I started saying it like, Three months before the thing, like right now, like let me tell you something right now. Shea Gildred Alexander, 
better be starting in the damn All-Star game this year. I'm saying that right <laughs> now on your Shea, podcast. Shay, you got it. Shay should yeah. be in the All-Star. You're saying something nice. It's no, on record. Starter. St- All-Star starter. starter. Got yes. it. Well, you know now, what, see, Chuck? Uh, I was going to say, on this, this spirit of positivity, because I know you have to go, I want to ask you one more question. Sure. And we're going to call it the Be Nice Challenge, okay? I'm going to yes. say three players. And you have okay. to say one nice thing about each of them. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Who do I want to do? I'm like looking at who's... Okay. One nice thing about Ben Simmons. One nice thing about Anthony Davis. And one nice okay. thing about Kyrie Irving. Okay. Ben Simmons is a very talented player. I said a few years ago, he can't be a great player until he learns how to shoot. I says he can be a really good player. I will say this: the challenge is being nice. All of these things have to be compliments. No, 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 no. Uh, but because <laughs> it, you, you, see, 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 see. The, the problem I have with your question is, it, it, it's it's layered. Ben Simmons, I said he's a he's a really good player, but he can't be a great player until he learns how to shoot. Anthony Davis has probably been the most disappointing to me, to be honest with you. I said five or six years ago, that guy's gonna be the best player in the world. I said that guy right there is gonna be the best. And I really meant that a hundred percent. And to see where he's at now is disappointing. I went out on a limb and said, that guy's going to be the best basketball player in the world. And now he's not even mentioned. Kyrie Irving is one of the best one-on-one basketball players I've ever seen. His ability to dribble and shoot are incredible. But you know what, Taylor? It's a team game. I have to look around at my brothers and say, oh, I'm I'm doing it with him, 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 and him. And that's my biggest problem with Kyrie. He's a great player. But we have an obligation to the guys in the locker room. They're in there practicing hours a day. They're lifting weights. They're shooting. They're doing wind sprints and everything during the summer to get ready for the season. You don't do this thing by yourself. So all three of those guys got a lot of pros, but they got some cons too. So your question is great. Your little be nice thing is great. <laughs> but but be but, nice thing. Yeah, but you can't. It's like my life and your life. I always sign autographs. You do. I've never seen you turn one down. I always take pictures. And it's annoying as fuck sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I'm trying to eat. But you know what? That's that's part of the gig. You don't yeah. get all the good stuff. Like, you've been a woman, a black woman, talking sports. There's going to be some hate and animosity towards you. Just because you're a woman. 
And that just goes with the gig. Yeah. And like, we know what I always t tell people though, it damn sure beats working. <laughs> you know, we hey, do have a, a good life. We talk about hey, sports and we get paid. I know. For it. I, I tell people all the time. They're like, "Yeah, man, don't you get tired of autographs, pictures?" Yeah, sometimes I do. And then, and, I, and listen, if my friends feel the need to share social media with me, I'm like, "Yeah, man, I got a life. I ain't got time to be sitting around and reading the internet. I got stuff going on. Don't be bringing it to me. If I wanted to follow it, I read it myself. I mean, in but their then, defense, there's some funny like Charles Barkley memes and get like there's some yeah, funny Chuck stuff. That, 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 <laughs> hey, that, and, hey, listen. And like I say, I signed up for the gig, and I'm gonna tell you something. I take the good with the bad. I don't get like when we go on the road in the playoffs. I don't give a damn who wins, but in one city they love me. In the other city, they hate me. <laughs> I said, and they, I'm like, yo, man, I don't care who wins. That's the thing that makes me laugh the most, probably. Like, you don't like our team. I said, yo, man, I don't like, I don't care about you or your team. But, the, <laughs> but fans, but fan, you know, the best advice I got was from my mentor, Dick Ebersol. And, and he's been 100% correct 22 years later. He says, you're going to be great on television. He said, you're always going to be in trouble, though. I said, what does that mean? He says, you got to understand something about television. People don't want, you know, when people say they want the truth, they really don't want the truth. What people want is, hey, tell me my favorite player is great and tell me my team is great. That's what fans want. They don't like, yo, man, your favorite player is not that good and your team sucks. From that point on, they ain't hearing nothing you say. They pissed at you. <laughs> but but that's the job I signed up for, Taylor. For sure. And I'm so lucky and I'm so lucky and blessed to have this job. I get to work with Kenny and Shaq and Ernie and all the amazing people at Turner. You know, the people about you know how when you got a gig, the people behind the scenes work twice as hard as we do. Yeah. So I really I'm blessed to work with the most amazing people. Well, I will say, even though you're saying, you know, you you learn to believe and know that not everyone's going to like you. You are somebody who is so loved within sports. You're on literally the greatest sports show of all time. You are in people's thank homes you. every week. I know people love watching you. So thank you so much for coming on this show. You are a pleasure. I feel like I had so many really good conversations where I actually learned some things about you. So I really appreciate your time. And I feel so lucky that I get to work with you well, all the time as well. Well, you know, I'm so proud of your success. I want you to keep pushing the envelope. We need more of you out there because you're very talented. Thanks. I mean, obviously, you know, people can see your beauty, but they need to look past and see how talented you are. Thank and I'm you. proud of your success and keep it going. I appreciate that, Chuck. I will see you in Atlanta. Drinks on you. Drinks on me. <laughs> Bye. Hey, 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 Taylor. I yeah. hit a lot more now. <laughs> As you should. As you should. <laughs> hey, give me some of that contract money, by the way. But we'll talk. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye.